0: Episode thirty, thirty three zero of yep. Auto Off Topic.
1: We're getting up there.
0: We're uh, recording a little later this evening because we got tied into watching some Neon Joe Werewolf Hunter upstairs.
1: Yeah, it was on the DVR, and then we we're eating some uh, delicious tacos, l- uh, tacos that Stephanie made. So, took a little quick dinner break before we started, and uh, we had to watch a hump, a hump, yep. a hump,
0: a hump. I like uh, For anybody who watches Neon Joe Wero Hunter, you'll get the reference. If you don't watch it, you're wasting your life. Yes. If you do watch it, you're probably also wasting your life. But this is true. It's fully worth it. It's you, terrible. You awesome. can
1: you can chew the math on that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Anyway,
1: well, uh, we'd like to thank uh, listeners. You stuck with us, uh, or you're stuck with just the two of us this week. We hope you've been joining the guests. Uh, we certainly have, and there will be more.
0: Yeah, three weeks straight with guests. We get a little catch up on on other regular topics, I guess. So uh, thanks to our guests, thanks to our listeners, and let's uh, keep moving. Actually, I have a little bit of podcast news. Yeah, we broke in the top two hundred in iTunes ratings. That's good. Yeah, I thought I thought so. I, I don't know how many automotive podcasts there are, but there are at this least two hundred because they rank two hundred, and we broke into one sixty seven before episode thirty, less than you know a little over half a year. It's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that. So yeah. again, thanks, listeners.
1: So, we haven't done a question episode in a while. Nope. Uh, so, we're going to get to those, uh, but we also haven't covered any project card updates or back dates in a few weeks, and we want to cover those, too. Um, but before we do that, oh, tonight we've got some Night Shift Awake, which is Delicious. my favorite porter yeah, it's aged current. with coffee. I don't know. Late, it's been at least a year. This is my favorite one. So. Yeah, it's pretty good. Although- it's local, they, too, so- they have a a limited release. I got to try it over the weekend because Jordan had some, and I'll get to that because we were working on his truck. But it was called—it's called PB Phone Home.
0: So Is it's, it's a porter with water. peanut butter. Excellent.
1: It was amazing. But anyway, you had a pretty cool weekend. So I while had, we get into that,
0: I had an excellent weekend. I went to Pennsylvania. We were supposed to go as a team and do a podcast there, but unfortunately, Andrew had some family stuff come up and could not make it. No, I couldn't. That's unfortunately. Okay. Life happens. Cars are secondary to family life. Just a little bit. Just barely. But they are, unfortunately. So sometimes it happens. But I still went. Um, I had an obligation to tow down our friend Al's Mark II Escort, which I have been littering every page in the world with with photos. So I'm sure you've all seen it by now. Oh, it's super cool. So It's ridiculously nice. But I had told him I was going to be towing that down there for the weekend for him. Um, Carlisle. It's a big fairgrounds, specializes in car shows. They have, I don't know, 10 or 12 car shows a year, and they're all theme shows. It's not imports of Carlisle anymore, right? It's... uh... It's still imports. Um, Quick history, it used to be um, the Carlisle import nationals, Uh, and it was really a pretty heavy concentration on vintage cars. They allowed any year car come, but it was... Kind of like an unspoken rule that it was mostly vintage stuff. Vintage being, you know, pre-'95-ish, I guess, would be kind of what the vintage theme is. Um, They had another show that happened there, I think it was in July, and it was called the Performance and Style event. The Performance and Style event was more of a tuner show. Um, they're probably two of the smaller, smallest shows that Carlisle has every year, mm-hmm. just because of the nature of rural Pennsylvania. You know, they have a Ford show and a Mopar show and a Chevy show, and those get, you know, a lot more crowds than the catch-all import show does. So they decided to combine both the performance and style event and the import nationals event, and the two of them together became, I think they call it um, import and performance weekend now so there's a lot more of like the stance life cars along with the vintage import cars so it's actually kind of a cool combo it's the second year they did it the first year i wasn't really thrilled because it was pouring rain and a lot of the old cars didn't show up so it just seemed like it was a i don't know slammed subaru vape bro fest but this year because the weather was better a lot more of the old cars showed back up again and it was actually kind of a cool mix um, if you've never been to a show at Carlisle, I highly recommend it. They have tons of cool stuff going on all weekend. There's plenty of places to stay. And if you search for it, there's actually plenty of places to eat. It took us a few years to figure out where to find good food. Uh, don't go to Haas's. No? No. That's pretty much the worst place I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> um, so it's a cool event, and you see a lot of stuff that you don't normally see anywhere else. Yeah. Um, Along with the car show, they have autocross all weekend. They had drifting all weekend. Oh, they're drifting now. They did. Cool. It was really cool. Um, and then they had a couple of things that came over from the performance and style, um, more stance style event. They had a loud exhaust contest. Nice. A burnout contest and a low car contest, like a car limbo. I like that. Um, it's kind of weird. Um they started all that last year. I didn't stick around for it last year because it was pouring rain. This year I saw it. The exhaust contest is pretty cool because you have a combination of the import tuner-style crowd and the vintage crowd. Um, and it's not a standard car rolls up to the booth, yeah. drive the piss out of it a few times, and drive away. They actually do a full underload pull up a hill. Oh. So it's... It's cooler than a regular one. So it's probably like a, I'd say about an eighth mile hill straight hill climb.
1: Oh. Yeah. Okay.
0: So the car that won this year. Dang, I didn't know that. That would have been. No, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to tell you what car won because I don't know what car won. Yeah. In my head, the car that won yeah. was the polished aluminum Austin Healy with straight pipes. Okay. It was pretty ridiculous. All right. But there was some other, you know, tuner cars that were pretty loud too. There was like a, an M3 with a full body kit and super loud exhaust and. But, I mean, this guy shows up in his polished aluminum Healy, and he has, like, a leather helmet and goggles and, like, leather driving gloves. Yeah. And he just blew the crowd away because he was, like, 110, and the car was awesome. Cool. It was pretty amazing. Um, so that was pretty awesome. Um, the low-car limbo, again, I didn't see that this year because I had other stuff going on. Yeah. But I did see it last year, um, and all the stance kids in their Miatas obviously think they had the whole thing on lock. Yeah. And then this guy shows up because it's the combination of the import performance and the vintage imports, this guy shows up in a bone-stock Lotus Europa and just goes lower than anybody can go. And
1: all the stance <laughs> kids are like, "Ah, Yeah, because those cars are just, they're they are like knee high. Yeah, they're yeah. really small. They're literally knee-high.
0: Yeah, they're so small. You have to lay down inside them when you drive them. Yeah. But yeah, he so he annihilated everybody in the low-car contest last year. I don't know who won this year. I didn't see that. Um, out of other more important things. I was talking to people and... I don't know, around the crowd the whole time. But yep. uh, the other cool thing they do at Carlisle now, um, they pretty much, they have theme parking. But if you want to park with your friends, you can. You don't have to park with the same crowd of your car. They're not like super anal about it. Because for judging now, if you want to be in a judged car, they don't come to your car. They give you an assigned time to go through the rolling oh. judging station. That makes sense. Right. So that way they don't have to chase cars around the parking lot all day. And the judges don't have to walk, you know, 800 miles in between cars. Right. So they had a uh, stage set up. And then they have it's probably covered, right? And it's covered. And you drive in, and the judges go over your car and they give you uh, points. That's a 100 point scale um and actually they have a company um i saw uh, it. it's an app yeah it's an app it's like free i don't give them a free plug or anything but no, whatever it's i don't remember the name of it e judged e judged is, is that what it is app. yeah okay and i'm sure if you have any car show you can talk to them about how it works but it's pretty cool because they have like you know 10 10 10 point categories and they go in their app and they do a little sliding scale with their finger and then it automatically uploads to you know the main server and there's no questioning, no oh. paperwork. It's really simple and cool. So it was cool to see that. Um, I'm not a huge car show kind of guy. Like, I've never been one to go to a car show that cars get judged. Uh, I I kind of forgot about it
1: until I saw you guys were doing it.
0: Right. We always kind of just go for the event because they actually charge extra if you want to have your car judged. Yeah. But this year, because I was there with Al with his escort, um, he's like, well, maybe I could get, you know, some kind of an award here. And we'll kind of add to the provenance of the, pro- provenance of the car. I was like, yeah, the important Nationals award would be kind of cool. So he was like, I'm going to put it in and be judged. So I kind of got to experience that side of it this year. Um, he actually won Best of Show for the vintage cars. So it was, I think it was called Best wow. of Show Old School. Cool. So it was totally worth the effort because he had a cool plaque for it and everything. And it was, uh, it was kind of a learning experience. So, again, I don't think I have any cars myself that I'd want to get judged. No. Because they're not as nice as that car is. But it was cool to see it. And it was cool to see how the judging works. And... And it was different than any judging I've ever experienced. So that was kind of cool. But the autocross is fun to watch. The drifting is always fun to watch. I mean, because those guys just go out there and go ham on the throttle with their cars. Just destroying parts and cars and tires and and everything. Um, Overall, great weekend. No complaints. Cool. Last year, I was very upset because of the combination of the two shows. And I was like, this might be the last year we go. And then it rained. And I was like, "Eh, I'll give it one more shot. But totally worth it. We're going to go back again next year. I'm actually considering, Andrew, I don't know what your plans might be this summer. I know you got a busy summer coming up. Um, but I'm kind of thinking of doing something crazy and driving the Camaro out there for the GM Nationals. I think it'd be kind of fun.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> or you could,
0: you know, try it late. I thought about that. But, I mean, one of the reasons I never drove the Camaro long distances is because it gets shitty gas mileage. Yep. Um it's sixty eight Camaro three fifty with a four speed, so yeah on the highway it's turning pretty high. But if I tow it when my truck is towing it only gets like eleven miles per gallon anyway.
1: This is true, but it is protected inside the
0: trailer. But part of the reason for owning a car is to drive it, and I've never taken that car on like an epic trip. And I think if I went through the whole car Yeah. And it's not like it's across the country, it's about four hundred miles. Yeah. No. So, you don't go through New York City or anything. You just go, you know, up the upper route, like 81, 87, 98, 90, 87, 81, or whatever it goes. However, that route goes. The same way I always go. I wouldn't be stuck in the city or in heavy traffic with it. And it would be kind of a cool thing to do with the car because I feel bad that I only drive the car, like, out of the garage to the car, the local car shows, the back of the garage again. Yeah, that's So, it would be kind of cool to use it for once in the, you know, 20 years I've been driving it. So. Anyway, that's that's my update on Carlisle, my, my story about Carlisle. Really cool. There were some sweet race cars there. There always are. The Pennsylvania Hill Climb Association always has a cool display with a bunch of hill climb cars, which if you listened recently, you'd know that we've had our hill climb appetite wet pretty heavily lately. Yes. Um, I believe there's one. It's called the Durea. Durea? Durea, yeah. Durea, Durea Mountain or whatever. Yeah, that's a big that one That was one of the ones they were talking yeah. about Um there was a guy I was talking to, had a 73, I don't want to get the year wrong, but I think it was a 73. It was a Subaru, um, GL would have been the model here, but the rest of the world would have known as a Subaru Leone or Leone, a front wheel drive, Boxer 4, yep. that had been a race car since it was brand new. And it was super cool. And it was actually called the Subaru, which I yeah. thought was kind of a cool play on words name, yeah. all hand-lettered, hand-painted. Um, and it was campaigned by a Subaru dealer in the 70s. And then kinda of pushed out back and forgotten about. And it was at a junkyard in the line to be scrapped. Whoa. Ready to be crushed in like the mid eighties. And another local racer happened to go past, stop in the junkyard or something else, saw the car, recognized it, and said, No, that car is like a huge part of Pennsylvania Hill Climb history, we yep. have to save it. So they did, and they currently campaign it and it's awesome. Cool. Yeah, very cool.
1: So So you stayed home. I stayed home. And this can segue right into Project Cars after uh, myself and our buddy Joe, which this makes three weeks in a row that we've mentioned him. And, he's uh, he's auto,
0: auto-autopic auto famous.
1: Yes. And maybe, is that a rule now? So if we mention three people, if we mention a person three times in a row that we have to have them on. So we'll have to work that out with him. But anyway, he came down for the day. Jordan uh, met at my uh, parents' house because we have a garage there with all the tools in it. And this was Saturday. We started at, like, 9 in the morning, and we were going to do a lift to Jordan's Xterra.
0: Which is pretty cool because yes. something we'd never actually done to a car before. Yeah, we've, I've never lowered, had... we've lowered lots of cars. We've never actually lifted one.
1: Yeah, I've never lifted a truck. So uh, it was pretty neat. He bought a NISTEC Mark, well, it says MK84. I say that as Mark 84, but maybe it's MK 84. Yeah, I don't know what the brand is. It's a three-inch lift on the X-Terra. So it's a mix and match of kind of the best aftermarket parts. The rear shocks are Bilstein 5100s. It's got, I think, their own, uh, because the truck has leaf springs, so it's got shackles. So extended shackles to lift the back? Mm Mm-hmm. And then I don't know the the name of the kit for the uh, for the rear spring. Yeah, but, I'm not sure. But if anybody who has
0: an exterior wants to know, you can message us, and we'll ask Jordan.
1: <laughs> we'll go to NISTEC. It's all on there. And the their own bespoke front coilovers that they have made. And then it's got uh, box springs on them because uh, the front of his truck is heavier with the aftermarket off-road steel bumper, so it was nose-diving a lot on the stock springs. Yeah, especially under braking. Under braking. And then even off-road sometimes you hit a little bump and the thing would come down and hit on one of the skid plates, just the extra weight. So having those extra lift and then the heavier springs will yeah, help. It was, it was
0: help. bottoming out the springs in the front too, wasn't it? Like, yeah. To almost going to like bump stops under a... Uh, yeah,
1: they were pump. they were soft. But regardless, so this is a... Uh, Exteriors kind of remind me of... Monteros.
0: Well, they're the last of a kind of vehicle. They're a similar kind of vehicle to a Montero.
1: They're overbuilt,
0: I think, for their size. And they're definitely overbuilt for what most people in this country use them for.
1: Exactly. They're, most X-terras are used for going to the mall, so to speak. Yeah, soccer bombs, whatever. Yeah. And that's probably why they eventually phased them out, because people realize they just want SUVs to be tall and quote-unquote safer. And safer. And you then... The quote-unquote. Yeah, quote-unquote safer. That's important. And then that the you're just sitting up higher, and but you still want to drive like a car. So they're like, well, we don't need to make a vehicle that's body on frame. That's kind of silly. We can just make a unibody. Right. It probably I
0: costs think, less to make a unibody vehicle. Exactly. When you make a body on frame, you pretty much
1: bolt the unibody to a frame. So... Yeah. So that's why... Uh, those Unfortunately, those trucks went away in 2015. So his is the last of the Xterras. Uh But it's kind of neat. It's got rear leaf springs, uh, IFS in the front, which I think is fine. Some yeah, people argue well, otherwise. well,
0: hardcore rock crawling is one thing. For most off-road use, and IFS is probably just, yes. just fine. There's have been some garbage IFS trucks in the past that have ruined people's opinions of IFS mm-hmm. trucks. But a good IFS setup is fine for nine out of ten things you're going to do with it.
1: And he's setting his truck up for long trips and adventuring in the woods and carrying lots of gear so he can stay out camping, not necessarily crawling over rocks. So Right, overlanding. Overlanding, is, yeah. yes. The roof uh, tent and everything on it. Yeah, so, so that's the other thing too. So with this roof tent, the tent, because I helped him put it on there, it's only like an extra 150 pounds. Excuse but it's up me. high. It's up very high. And then when you add all of your gear inside the truck, it was sagging pretty bad in the back yep. on the stock suspension. It looked lowered, actually. It did look lower. <laughs> like There was almost no fender gap for a big truck. Uh, so that wasn't ideal. It was definitely at... And then it was kind of making it handle a little funny, too, because the springs were overloaded. So but what we did, we started with uh, doing the rear, and we dropped the rear leaf springs out. We did this all in the garage on the floor. Mm-hmm. It was probably easier than setting. It was on much that. easier than putting on the lift. So, just using jack stands and the floor jack, and we used some air tools for speed. But you could do it with all basic hand tools. Uh, I'd say probably on a ten point scale, it was like a five in difficulty. So it wasn't like a super easy bolt on and go project. Well, everything bolted on in the back. Okay. In fact, yeah, because we were thinking about it after we finished. We're like, yeah, every everything in the back actually bolted on. We didn't have to modify a thing on the back. Okay, so it was kind of neat. I never repacked springs like added a leaf to leaf springs. No, no I I've never actually played with leaf springs before. So you just you took them off, and there's a big long center bolt in the middle of the leaf spring, and that's also your locating it's pin, a locating pin
0: on the axle too. So
1: you unscrew that, and then you stuck the added leaf. In the bottom. And then we used some clamps to kind of pull them together. And then you thread the bolt through and just tighten it back down. Sprayed some dry grease in there so they don't squeak. And it was good to go. Put them back in. And then mounted up the bilsteins and added the rear shackles. And then there's little shims that you add underneath the axle so that your pinion angle stays the same so you don't bind that up. Oh, okay. I wondered
0: if it was like a limit of the pinion angle. Was it kind of like what was happening with a three-inch lift, or so you do do so, so you do something to change it? Yeah, angle these back. little
1: aluminum shims go in there, and I think they said three degrees on them or something. Okay, and so then
0: so th- it basically cocks their axle.
1: It it tilts it back up because if okay. you're lowering it, then the pinion angle gets real severe. Exactly, and yep. then it just basically rotates it back up. So it was we did that, and then I had to. It's a lot easier too because the spare tire is under the back of this truck. If you lower the spare tire, because there's enough room, I could sit underneath there, Indian style. Okay. And I unscrewed the brake Pre- line. Pre-lift or before lift? <laughs> this is when it was on jack stands. Oh, okay. So I had to replace the factory brake lines that run from the body down to the axle, the two blocks, and then split off. Because they need to be extended. They probably, need to be extended, right? so yeah. they're stainless steel braided ones. But once we did that... Just kind of bled the brakes real quick. It was all set. We put it back up. Boom. Three inch lift. Like nothing. That's crazy. It was super easy. It was really cool too. (laughs) The truck had like crazy like rake to the front. And then we flipped around and uh, did the front. The front was a little trickier because it's got these coil spring buckets that are mounted to the frame. And apparently when you lift it, obviously you change the. The geometry, so you're pushing the control arms down, and you're going to change your alignment. And if you're pushing it down like significantly, you're going to throw off your camber. So you have to add, uh, they're made by SPC, which they make a lot of alignment stuff. And these upper control arms have adjustable ball joints that slide in and out. To keep the camber correct
0: after the lift? Exactly. As much as like the pinning angle on the rear is going to change, the camber is going to change in the front, too, when you lift up. Exactly. It's going to become like a super positive camber,
1: right? Yep. So uh, according to the forms, they told them that people that have done this before, you have to trim the outer edge of the coil bucket where the steel is stamped. Because when it catches that, it can rip the boot. So once we ground that away, we the actually... The boot on the shock absorber? On over? No, on the ball joint. Oh, okay. It can actually come down and hit it because if you've got to have the negative, if it has to be adjusted negative camber all the way in, it will be too close and will touch. So like a quarter of an inch or so or a half an inch has to come off. But if you use a rotary grinder and we just kind of did it on the inside, once you got the hang of it and where it needed to be, it was like real fast done. Okay. And then I just hit it with some black spray paint so it didn't rust. Okay. And then put lower camber bolts in the lower control arms. So it's a double wishbone in the front yeah. with a coilover so that you can have the half shafts go through. And then apparently, so this is not too much of a lift that it would pull the half shafts out of the transmission. So I guess that's okay.
0: Right. You know, you extended any kind of spacers. Or anything yeah. For the half shafts, which would be not ideal, I would think. <laughs> no, because I
1: think I was reading in the forums, like people that do more than three inch lift. They have to add spacers for their half shafts, but basically the way these coilovers are set up, they come set up with a two inch lift, and then they put a one inch block spacer on the top of the spring.
0: So the spring itself is two of the inches, and that extra block makes up the third inch. Exactly. So you're not like severely changing um, the travel rates or anything like that. Exactly. So you keep uh, yeah
1: you keep a lot of good you keep the travel nice inside the shock so you don't ruin the ride quality yeah because these were coilovers but i was looking at them and they're not the type that you can spin the spring perch on the shock body and move it without setting preload if you were to turn these up you'd actually set preload then it get stiffer okay which would make it ride stiffer harder yeah. harsher yeah so we left it set up from the factory, so to speak, the way they set them up is two inches and then the one inch spacer.
0: That sounds like a really nice setup overall. Then, so it's really like clean install and doesn't really it installed screw really
1: too much. well, surprisingly well. Everything except for grinding was bolted on. Grinding those spring perches, right, just, just to clearance them for the extra travel, exactly. But everything else is bolted right on. The front even came with extra or came with new braided brake lines too, because those had to be extended. The only thing I was like, hmm, that might be an issue is that the front shock absorbers didn't have boots over the pistons. I was like, I don't think they. They didn't. In my mind, I was like, oh, they didn't engineer this for New England. Right. Rust. Yeah. Corrosion. And just like dirt and junk that can get up there. So that's the only thing that worries me. But other than that, everything else was pretty nice. And it was funny, too, because I. I think I put a picture on the Instagram, the Bilstein 5100s, the rear shocks, these extended travel off-road shocks, yep. have Nürburgring stickers on them. Oh, that's random. Like, tested at <laughs> Nürburgring, yeah. But well, I like, guess, I mean, if you
0: can test them anywhere, it's got to be a good uh, cross-section of terrain not just on pavement there.
1: Yeah. So, it was like 12-ish hours we spent on this with three people, but... That's not too
0: bad when you consider you're changing every suspension point in the truck. Yeah, we had to
1: touch every suspension bolt, basically. And it
0: wasn't something that you guys had like experienced before. Like I said, none of us have ever raised a vehicle. Well, Joe has raised a vehicle. Yeah. Because the Subaru, he has But, really up, but his
1: the Subaru is set up the same way as just adding coilover because he was just changing struts. That's true. So that wasn't that much different. It's a little more involved in this one.
0: I would say twelve hours is bad. So it's a weekend, a weekend job for a group of friends and a couple of beers.
1: Yeah, we did it the entire Saturday, and that's that's he brought the uh, night shift PB phone home porter Del- deliciousness. So you got to try that. But I think it's it's definitely improved the truck. Like sometimes you do modifications to cars that are questionable. Maybe they don't improve it, but this definitely improved it, especially when lowering. Yes, <laughs> I mean it looks. Now, when you look at the before and after pictures, you're like, oh, that's the way the truck should have come.
0: Yeah, it, d- it doesn't look ridiculous. It's not like a giant mud truck, but it has a nice, like, Purp- purposeful yeah, stance. It's a purpose. To it purpose. Yeah.
1: And then it looks good with the off road bumper on the front. It's just, it's a nice looking rig. So that's pretty cool. Uh, other project car updates. I'm still working on the 99 Montero. Uh, more on that in the future. I think maybe I have the noise figured out. We'll see. Letters, 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 please. Maybe. I did swap the wastegate on the glott. It was definitely seized. It made it run better. It's a little smoother, but it's still hitting some weird wall where it falls flat at its face. So it's almost like it's But not all the time. Too
0: much air, not enough fuel.
1: Well, that's I reduced it to run just on wastegate pressure, which is 10 psi. and It was still doing it. Oh, that's bizarre. And then the check engine light was coming on. So I was like, hmm. The only other thing I changed was to add that HKS filter I had. It came with its own mass air meter that I'd never really used. So I just took out the mass air meter that I was using and was apparently maybe working fine. Okay. So I'm just going to swap that mass air meter. Oh, you haven't swapped it back no, yet? No, I haven't had okay. a chance. I was going to do that uh, maybe tomorrow night or okay. Uh Yeah, we can start Sunday. tomorrow night by doing that. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, because tonight I discovered that when I got home from work that the 89 Montero radiator is seeping coolant, so that will have to come out, and I'll have Which it.
0: we will, of course, fix before the sale here at Crazy Larry's Used Cars.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, no, we'll do it right. I'm going to have it. I'm not going to put an aftermarket one in. I'm going to take it out, and we're going to send it to, there's a local radiator shop that should be able to rod and core it and restore the original metal radiator, because in Monteros, you really want that brass radiator. It's a lot better. Than the plastic end tank ones, right, Brad?
0: Yeah, as I well know by yes. my car, yes. Yeah.
1: The Raider one exploded and overheated the truck and put it in its current state. Anyway, anything else? Oh, you worked on the Colt, right? I have not worked on the Colt. No, I you did, on the Colt? no, you did the interior of the...
0: Oh, no, we talked about the interior already. Did you? Yeah, 100%. Right. I worked on the Escort, on canal's okay. Escort. Yeah. I did uh, front brakes. Because when he bought the car from Europe, it had um, like a track daybreak, um, which were probably very good pads. I don't know what they were, but when they were cold, they did nothing. So yeah, for, a street, they have a, for a street pad, they weren't uh, ideal. They're not <laughs> at their operating temperature. Yeah, they were pretty sketchy when they were cold. Um, so he bought a set of um, Ferrodo. Uh, is it Ferrodo? 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 We're going with that. Fer- Ferrodo. Ferrodo. Um, they're an aggressive street Fredo. pad. They're, oh, they're an aggressive street pad. They're like for an autocross-style setup. So they work when they're cold because autocross... Like a, like a Hawk HP. It's pretty much like a Hawk HP, HP+, plus, but the Ferrodo version of that. Yep. So it's a good, aggressive, yet streetable pad. Cool. So also, when I finished the front brake swap in the car, of course, you need to bed them in and test them. Yes. So I finally got to drive the RS2000 at more than parking lot speeds. How was that? Um, It lives up to the hype.
1: Oh, you think so, huh?
0: Yes. So they say never meet your heroes kind of thing. If you get a chance to drive a sorted RS2000 Escort, jump at the chance. It's it's all that it's supposed to be. Hmm. Um, I've never driven a car that old that had such good steering. Is it, is it a rack and pinion in that? Yeah, it's a rack and pinion in it. And it's got a more modern rack and pinion in it with a faster ratio. It is so tight.
1: Were they originally rack
0: and pinions? Yes. Oh. Even his Mark One is a rack and pinion set. That's
1: what made them such good rally cars, probably. Right,
0: because the steering input was ridiculous. And so, they're also
1: small, and the wheelbase well, is they're short. They're tiny.
0: I mean, it's, it's basically driving it. I was like, this is my goal for the Colt. This is what I need to build the 78 Colt into. Yeah, okay. this, this feels perfect. It rides like the Colt. It turns like the Colt as far as the actual steering of it goes. But it's just when you actually turn the steering wheel, it's immediate. It's like Miata Evo steering response. Is it powered? No power. No power rack, no power brakes. Everything's manual. Hmm. But it just works. Hmm. And it works damn good. <laughs> so it's really fun to drive.
1: And then that has the Pinto engine in it? Yeah, the 2-liter Pinto with
0: twin 40. I want to say the twin 40, whoever's on it,
1: side drafts. So what does that make for power? Do you know?
0: I'd guess probably a buck and a half,
1: 150-ish. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking.
0: Because it's got a pretty aggressive cam in it. The motor's been gone through. It's, you know got a different compression than factory and it's been it's been gone through. I think they were like hundred to hundred and twenty stock and
1: in America when you hear Pinto, you're like, oh, you just yeah, think. Pinto. Like, yeah. yeah, you think kind of shitbox. But the engine that's in a Pinto is a great
0: little motor. And if you go to pretty much any like Saturday night dirt track race around the country, there'll be tons of two liter Pintos running in all kinds oh, of modified four cylinder cars.
1: Formula Fords were. Formula
0: Fords ran Pinto blocks, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a good little motor that was just kinda of saddled with a less than ideal and actually not even like a Pinto is a good car. They just got a bad rap because at the time Americans didn't want to buy economy cars still. So a Pinto is the closest this country ever got to the Mark one, Mark two escort. And pretty much all the parts suspension wise can be put into a Pinto. Really? Yeah. So you can pretty much make a Pinto into an escort without much effort. Huh? So there it's kind of a
1: cool car. Is yeah. it, is it uh, well, obviously it's a library axle. Is it, Leaf springs or coils? I think they're leaves, right? The rear leaves. Yep. Yep. And then of course it had L S D.
0: Um, yes, it did have an L S D. And actually I have a video of Al launching it on the way home after I had the brakes and you could see I'll put it up somewhere eventually. Um, but you can see both you know it lays will put it that way. Yeah.
1: And then it's um uh, is it a five-speed or a four-speed? It's a four-speed. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's a four-speed. He wants to swap it to a five-speed. It's a pretty much a bolt-in swap with the different transmission that they made. So huh. it will eventually be a five-speed. Yeah. Just because it's a little lively on the highway. It's, it drives a little high and yeah. a long drive, which is part of the reason we towed it to yeah. Pennsylvania, just because it'll be a long drive for a car we haven't driven very could,
1: much. That's probably a super easy swap, too, because there's probably nothing in that car. Yeah. Neat. So... Shall we do some listener questions? I think so. Sure. You want to start with one?
0: Uh, sure. Let's see. Let me go to our Facebook page. And our Facebook page. Facebook page. Okay. Here we go. First question. Comes from Dan Downey. All right. Uh, Dan Downey says, why, in and around 2014, did Mitsubishi... Make a WRX equivalent to the WRX. Make a, okay. Make a car equivalent to WRX, turbo and all-wheel drive rally art, and then tell nobody about it.
1: Yeah. So basically, you had Lancer Evolution, WRX STI, but then you have the WR. Then you have the WRX was below the STI. Yep.
0: And they had the Lancer Rally art. So and there then was. Had the Impreza and the Lancer.
1: Yeah. So there was the from two thousand ten. To twenty, fourteen I believe, was the end year. Was the Lancer Rally Art? So it was a lower model, right? It was a ba- basically the Lancer, made into all-wheel drive. It did not have the aluminum control arms that the Evo had. It did not have the wide bodies. Yep, smaller intercooler. Smaller intercooler, but it had the turbo four B eleven. Yeah, same basic motor, but a like little di- less different, different pistons. Detuned. And, yeah. Not even that. I think it was more of a. A flash. Oh, really? And uh, small yeah. turbo, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm trying to remember now, but it did the what they thought would be the selling appeal. I think what their reasoning was that it would come with the fancy twin clutch uh, Getrag transmission that only came in the
0: MR, which was the top of the line
1: Evo. Exactly. That was like a forty thousand dollar car. So, in a $26,000 car, you get this twin-clutch transmission. Uh, they did sell some, and they're not a bad car. They're pretty fun. They didn't have the super sport mode that the Evo MR got, which basically... So it was
0: detuned, much like the car was. The transmission was... Yeah, it had really a
1: detuned. different uh, tuning level. So, it had, like, regular drive, where it would drive like an automatic. Then it had, like, a sport mode, where it would just shift, like, super, super fast. And it had
0: a full manual mode.
1: No, it wouldn't be full manual. The sport mode would be manual. The, the difference with the super sport mode, I believe, was that it would actually give you hard shift shock Okay. to actually feel like you're accelerating. So there was that. Uh, so there
0: was no true manual transmission for it?
1: No. And I kind of asked the rep one time when I was working there, he was like, well, we want to like deal with all the warranty claims of those transmissions because I don't know okay. they're
0: expensive to rebuild the get drag ones were
1: well that's the thing the twin clutch transmission was $10,000 and
0: it was a sealed unit if I remember correctly yes so you couldn't go to the Mitsubishi dealer and be like hey I blew first gear can you fix this no they'd be like nope you need a new transmission which is half the price of your car you sir. could
1: buy clutches but that was it oh. so it's $10,000 transmission the car cost $26,000
0: Right, so you can guess why a few of them got sidelined.
1: Yeah. But
0: they also made the hatchback version of that, did they not?
1: Yeah, Sportback.
0: Yeah, which was actually a cool-looking car. I
1: think, uh, I'm sure if you look on forums, I'm going to guess that people took wrecked Evos and probably five-speed swaps. Swapped them in.
0: But it's almost why at this
1: point. Yeah, because the car's not worth much. Yeah. If you had the parts, you could source it. If you bought one cheap because the transmission was blown... It'd certainly be cheaper to find the 5 speed yeah, the GSR. Yeah, Evo
0: transmission, yep.
1: That was the other thing, too. So, like, my. But
0: ECU stuff to deal with, too. I don't know how that works with that.
1: Uh, I think they had their own. It was a separate ECU yeah. for the transmission and the motor. Yeah, know. if I remember right.
0: Or TCU at that point, I guess. Yeah. So, the.
1: Like, my 08 Evo 10 GSR, that came with, in America, that came with a 5 speed transmission, which was kind of annoying that it only came with a 5 speed and not the 6 speed. But if you remember back to the
0: even the Evo 8 and 9 before that, they were the same. The lower-level cars had a 5-speed, and then the MR had the 6-speed.
1: Yeah, the 6-speed is a little bit better, though, of a transmission.
0: Maybe in 10, I don't know, because in the 8s and 9s, it was actually more desirable for performance-wise, acceleration-wise, to have or quarter-mile-wise, which you will never hear about in this country, for the 5-speed. Yes, but... It was an extra shift... At the top of the quarter mile. And the yeah, but mile I
1: would have rather had an Evo 9 MR if I was going to buy that generation. With a six-speed. With a six-speed. Because right. I believe it was a better transmission.
0: It probably was, you know, for stoutness and whatnot. Yeah. But I unfortunately didn't have my Evo old enough, like long enough, to worry about transmission issues. Because yeah. I only had 39000 when I got rid of it. So,
1: so it's kind of strange that you could buy... So that's the other thing. So it was $26,000 to get into that car and then if you jumped up to, like, no, I guess it's, like, ten grand more to get into a base Evo than have a 5-speed. That was sort of the appeal. I mean, a good amount of them sold. I remember there was one kid that came in. He had a Lancer, like a base Lancer or GTS, which was, like, the top non-turbo Lancer. He was like, can I get a turbo kit for that? I was like, not really. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, you're kind of better off just buying one that's already turbocharged because you'll spend less in the end. Yeah. And then, like, uh, maybe a couple weeks later, he actually traded in for a sport, uh, rally art version. I right. was like, okay. Yeah, with I'm,
0: my commission boss. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I'm
1: glad you took your, my advice because you'd just be in for a lot of heartache if you try to turbocharge that.
0: Yeah, a lot of heartache and a lot of hard work for not much of a payoff at the end.
1: No, because you wouldn't have the old drive and all the other things. So yeah. that was the other thing. I don't think it had the... It may have had the super all-wheel control.
0: Yeah, the super AWC, they called it. Yeah, because then the very... I think the Rally Art had that.
1: Well, they're still... I can't say at the end of the production line. They're still making Lancers. But not Rally Arts. They've, yeah, not Rally Arts. They redesigned them. Well, uh, they redesigned the front and rear bumpers anyway. Yes, <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, but you can you can buy an all-wheel drive one now. Correct, a non-turbo, non-turbo all-wheel, turbo drive. all-wheel drive.
0: But you still can't get a five-speed all-wheel drive.
1: No, they That's won't. Still full automatic. They won't couple... Uh, Lower end all wheel drive with a manual for some reason, which
0: also doesn't make any sense to me because I think people would buy that car. Yeah. Again, you know, I go back to my sister's car. My sister bought a brand new Lancer in oh nine, before they were as long in the tooth as they are now. When you figure the fact that her car was an oh nine, and it's now twenty seventeen, and it's still the same basic body style, mm-hmm. but I digress. Um, she bought the Lancer in oh nine, drove it every day for the past uh, eight years. She literally just traded it in like two months ago. Yeah. And never had the car in the shop for anything other than maintenance. Yeah. Like 150,000 miles. That's a good car. She had the five-speed. There was not an issue with the car the entire time she had it. Nope. Like not one. Like she did brakes once. Never did a clutch. Tires maybe twice. And oil changes. And that's it. The car just went and went and went, and I, they still get this bad rap, and it just bothers the crap out of me. So I think right now Mitsubishi is kind of holding on to all their old designs for a couple of years while they're doing a big restructuring and hoping yes. that it holds over. And because they're doing that, you can get some pretty killer deals right now. Well,
1: I rolled through there the other day because I needed to, to price out a couple parts for the 99 Montero. Right. And the there's still a brand-new 2015 Evo Sitting there. There's a ton right of them front.
0: all over the country still for sale. And you can pretty much take them away for free at this point, I think. I think they give them pretty good discounts on them.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Because I
0: know my sister, because she was so happy with her 09 Lancer, she traded it in on an Outlander Sport, like a brand new Outlander Sport. Yeah. And with all the stuff she got in the car, the price that she got away from there with this brand spanking new car with a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty, which she probably not need because she never did in the other car, I mean, for... Two thirds price of a comparable CRV, like it's just it's, such a nice, such a good deal, such a cool vehicle. Not yeah. a cool vehicle, but a good vehicle.
1: Yeah, we're we're not trying to sell you a Mitsubishi. But yeah, we're
0: not salesmen. I swear. <laughs> but we're just trying not to get the company shut down because we like them and they make yeah. a good product, and we just want which, people to be
1: informed. Which actually, um, if you cruise over to the adventure-driven design forums, um, I've been I've posted a couple of things about the. 89 Montero, about how I bought it and stuff. Yep, from them, yep. So anyways, the... Um, no, no, the 89. The one I oh, bought. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, sorry. The Garbage Montero. And you can see why uh, on the forum post. But anyway, they are doing... Um, uh, there's a owner in Canada, Phil Hansford.
0: Yep, future guest Phil Hansford.
1: Yes. We'll work on that. Yes. Uh, he has a... Because uh, he lives in Canada, he gets to own a... Piero Evo.
0: Yes, 15-year import laws
1: in Canada. Yes. Bastards. So th- he is planning to uh, road trip down from Canada to go to uh, Mitsubishi Owner's Day in Los Angeles. This year or next year? This year. Oh, man. And a bunch of the Arizona Arizona crew guys are going to come out from Arizona. And uh, apparently uh, Mitsubishi, the PR people have contacted them and are really interested in what's going on. So that's really cool. That's very cool. So hopefully that's a sign of the... Some, turnar- some life in Mitsubishi. Yeah, in the and a turnaround and, and paying attention to enthusiasts. So,
0: Well, Mitsubishi is celebrating their 100th birthday of their first, vi- first road-going vehicle this year. Yeah. So I don't know if you've heard that. I know you've heard I don't know if our listeners have heard the story yes. about uh, they replicating their first car. Yes. But they're running a full... Um, Outlander electric hybrid drive under it. Yeah, so it'll look like the which, 1917 Mitsubishi, but will be powered by modern
1: tech. Yeah, which the hybrid Outlander was supposed to come out like Two
0: three years or ago. four years ago. Yeah,
1: <laughs> which that they'd probably sell a lot of those actually.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they will when they come out. Hopefully, I can't wait to see the vehicle. I'm a little upset that it's being built by a television TV show um, garage, but yeah, whatever. I'll hold off judgment until. The vehicle comes out, but whatever. Next question. Yep. Jordan Mellum, former guest. Yes. Um, One of the biggest 4x4 trail networks in New England has all been shut down recently due to damage, bushwhacking, trespassing. Why do you guys think it's much more difficult to find places to explore and wheel in the Northeast than it is elsewhere in the country?
1: Well, that's part of it. People are disrespectful. I think it's size. Where a more
0: densely populated area here.
1: Well, except when you get up towards like where he's talking about is up in Maine off the Golden Road. It's been restricted. And we kind of touched on this in the episode he was on. Two larger groups because people are completely disrespectful. They don't stay on the trails. They decide to like drive around things, drive through trees, drive over trees and bushwhack their own trails, which is right not good. It's not tread lightly. It's not what you should do, and then, uh, I mean, in in southern New England, yes, it's definitely population is too dense. At least in Massachusetts inside four ninety five,
0: yeah, it's people is incredibly dense. <laughs> it's all people, and it's all people,
1: and everything is owned by someone, <laughs> and it's not all only private
0: that, land, right? And all the private land that's at this point is still not populated is either protected or going to become
1: populated. Or, yeah, it's privately owned, so people don't want you on it. There are some groups locally here that are off-road groups that do get permission to wheel on private land. If
0: somebody in your off-road group happens to be friends with somebody who owns some land, you might be able to get something done. But that's about the only way you can do it around here. Um, well, Well, as Jordan knows, we had our experiences up in Maine where we did a lot of logging roads, which are privately owned, but... They're a little more...
1: They have public
0: access. Public access, privately owned, yes. As long as, again, you
1: respect them. Because they have public access to... uh, There's a deal... There's no... There's only one state park in Maine, which is Arcadia, right on the coast. Right. The rest of Maine is... Well, actually, that's a national park, I believe. The rest of Maine is owned uh, a lot by logging companies. Or whatever. and Springs, maybe. Because they make a lot of water up there. Right. Can't get there from here. Yeah. But regardless, it's some of it or actually most of it is owned privately, but Maine has a deal where they have agreed to allow public access. And on a lot of these logging roads, we could access campsites and stuff, which was pretty cool. Right. So I think it's just a matter of, like we said, lack of space especially in Southern New England. And too many
0: people and too much money. Money's involved. It's privately owned. Money's involved. They don't want your... It's it's
1: the same own. issue they have with stage rallies in New England, where it's difficult to get access to use stage roads because they are privately owned. Right. And they don't want either people on them or the potential for lawsuits or accidents or anything, because that worries them, so... You know, you go out west in the middle of the country, you know, there's nothing. So people don't, they just don't care. It's all public access. Yeah, and there's, oh, a lot cool. more,
0: there's more wide open land there. Yeah, exactly. You can go for miles and miles and miles. And if, if a couple of chuckleheads ruin one area out west, it's not going to be as noticeable as it is out here. So I don't think it's that there's more people out there that are ruining it than there are out here. I think it's just it's so much more widespread that it's harder to notice and it affects less. Yeah. So I wish people would just treat the land respectfully because it's not difficult and i actually know that a lot of the local groups that we know when they do their runs will bring additional trash bags with them and if they see a trashed area they'll clean it on the way through just because it's what you should do it's the right way to be yeah if you see that protect and and make it better you
1: know the other thing too we do know of there are things in new hampshire has class six roads which are unmaintained correct which are Public ways they are but. public ways, but you do have to do research and find them, and they're hard to find because people who know about them will not post about them on the internet. Right? They covet them so people don't ruin them. Exactly. So it's kind of re- that part of it is rewarding when we can do our research and find them. So that's yes. kind of fun,
0: which has become a little bit easier with the advent of Google Earth. You can kind of follow some roads and yeah, and figure it out.
1: Yeah, and then I guess. I'm told I haven't been to Vermont yet, but we've heard from Eric, uh, who was a guest, Eric Callis. I have a feeling he'll be wheeling up there soon. Yep. And uh, uh, Jordan, who went with VOR, that the Class 4 roads in, new Ham- in Vermont are excellent. You can really uh, do some challenging roads. or They're just interesting for off-roading stuff. Plus, there's new scenery
0: and... New towns to go into when you're there. Yeah, more, exactly. more exploring is what it's all about. It's not about doing the same road 15 times. It's get out there and explore and see what's going on. Uh-huh. All right. Next question is from Steve Boutin. He says, two-part question. Well, three-part question. How does the Mitsubishi Delica compare to a Toyota High ace for daily driver duties? I've been interested in getting a van for a while now, and these seem to be the logical choices. Um, Steve, neither of those are logical choices. They're both no. Japanese market vans, and parts are not exactly like, run down to Napa and get
1: a replacement. Chrysler part. minivan is a practical choice. That's a logical <laughs>
0: choice, yes. So we also already know what you drive as daily vehicles, so we know that logic isn't really in your true um, vocabulary here. So we are never going to stray from recommending the Mitsubishi over the Toyota. Um, the Mitsubishi has cooler options. They have a factory ice maker.
1: Yeah, the top-level one. The
0: top-level one, and they have a factory karaoke machine. Also, those neat sunroofs. The cool sunroof, which actually the Toyota has those too. Yeah. The, the, the corner corner windows and the roofs. Yeah. Some of the high aces have those as well. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of weird options the high ace was available with. Um, well, it, you drove... Uh, I drove a Delica. Yeah. It was for like a good amount of time. So. Yeah, I, I drove it for probably about half the way back from mm-hmm. um, Toronto to here. Um, it was, it's slow, it's lumbering, but so is a Raider. It's not, you know, so slow. It doesn't keep up with modern traffic. It's fine. Uh, he doesn't, the friend of, I have two friends that had Delica's, neither one of them have any significant problems with them. A lot of the suspension stuff is shared with a Montero. Uh, I'm not sure about crossover stuff with the Toyota vans. Um, I know that we did get a base model of both vans in this country a rear-wheel drive yep. version of both the Toyota and the Mitsubishi vans. So a lot of the body panels are available that way. Um, I just I, I don't have enough. Nobody I know daily drives one, so I don't, I don't know what's a better daily driver. Um, I would go with the Mitsubishi just because of my familiarity with it. Steve doesn't own any Mitsubishis. He does own Toyotas. So maybe you should go with the Toyota because, A, there's a bunch of Mitsubishis around here already. I know of three in Massachusetts already. Um, actually Steve's in New Jersey, but still, um, I would recommend the Mitsubishi, but if your personal preference is the Toyota, I don't see there's going to be much of a difference.
1: They're all pretty cool. I mean, yeah, exactly. Any like that sort of cab forward type van. Yeah. Even if it's a Volkswagen, it's cool. I mean,
0: honestly, they're all cool. Uh, And the last part of Steve's question is when am I going to get my coloring contest prize? I'm going to be honest with you, Steve. I apologize. We kind of let that slide. That's all on you. It's all on me. I had a couple of, you know, in my personal life job changes, and there was no money even for postage for a little while. Um, and I'll talk to you offline about that soon.
1: All right. Sorry. Cool.
0: Especially because we have a new version of that contest coming out soon to be announced pretty soon. All right. So. All right. Next, do you have any questions on your page, Andrew? I didn't have any, you know. Oh, okay. So we'll head over to my page. I posted my late, though. Yeah, you did post it real late. Has anybody ran Mitsubishi's at the Bonneville Salt Flats?
1: Oh, well, who asked that? Oh, uh, Frank Eck, actually. Yes. And then uh, our friend Brian Driggs uh, actually answered it. Yes. Uh, Smith Auto. Um, I know the Galant. If you Google it, there is a land speed record Galant. Yeah, so that's he, what he's talking about. The Galant s- VR4 did 200-plus
0: at both Bonneville and El Mirage, and he's seen it.
1: So it's kind of cool. It's actually it's a really cool-looking car. It's all yellow, and it's got moon discs. Right,
0: because it's Bonneville car. It's yeah. a moon discs It's for yeah. aero. Yep. And the front bumper is pretty much flat across with a big hole in it for the turbo, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the car is basically a, a aerodynamics of a brick, so... Uh, to how fast did it go? Two hundred plus, it says. That's impressive for yeah, that car. Yeah, that's very impressive. So skating little tires and a lot of boosts will go a long way. Yeah.
0: When you consider some of these talons are doing, you know, seven second quarter miles now. Two hundred isn't yeah. too out of out of range. Uh, I, guess. I
1: definitely want to. That's some place I want to go at some point is Bonneville before it's too late. Yeah. So soon,
0: or El Mirage. I could El Mirage too, but Bonneville has the.
1: No, Bonneville is just the the history of Bonneville. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's where I want to go. All right, next question is also from Frank Eck. He has three questions total. We'll hit his limit this week, but that's all right. We'll let him slide. Uh, There are a lot of desirable Mitsubishis coming of age to where they can be imported into the country. Maybe Andrew Pascarella could interview that guy from Vine about what's involved in the process. That guy from Vine would be me. Yes. Um, As this podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vine or Vintage Imports of New England, my company that does deal with this kind of stuff. Um, a listener slash friend of the show is currently in the process of importing a vehicle through Vine. So maybe Andrew Pascarella and I can have him on air to discuss that when it's done. Yep. So, and it is a Mitsubishi. So keep your ear open. Frank. From Europe, actually. From England. Yes. Not from Japan. Um, so Frank, keep your ears open for that. That'll probably happen pretty soon. Um, self-promotion, pat myself on the back and move on. Jeremy Nutt. New game. This yeah. is along the lines of F. Mary Kill. I like it, though. Yeah, I like his, I like, I saw I like what he called it. Yeah. yeah. He says, uh, I'll call it keep, rally, or crush. Okay. Uh, obviously, keep means you own the car forever. Yep. Rally is you drive it once. And crush is that car sucks, put it into a cube, and spit it out and make a new Hyundai out of it. So it was three cars. 1996 Saab 900 Turbo. 1988 Fiero GT and 1991 Dodge Spirit RT. You can go first, Andrew. <laughs> Do you know the history of all of these cars? Do you okay. know what they are?
1: I know what they are. Okay. I believe I've seen a Spirit rally car. Okay. Uh, I, I think there's video of one from like uh, like rallies in the '90s. Oh, the Fiero though, and then. What was the first one? Uh,
0: 1996
1: Saab 900 turbo. Okay. So if I have to keep it...
0: Did they make Saab 996? I mean, I guess they did. I just yeah. thought they were done before then. Yeah. All
1: right. So if I have to keep it, it's probably going to be a Saab. I'll go with that. Okay. Uh, if I'm going to rally it, I'm going to go with the Dodge Spirit. Okay. And I'm going to crush the Fierro.
0: I agree with the final part of your answer. We're going to crush all Fieros except for Greg's. Cause that's 4G63 powered. Okay. We'll keep Greg's Viero and a couple of parts, parts guys for him. All right. Um, but, uh, I'm going to go the opposite way of you. Okay. I'm going to rally the Saab. All right. Uh, simply because when you're building a rally car, there's really nothing more important than spares and there spares for a Saab 900 turbo or a diamond dozen. Okay. Um, and I will keep the Dodge, um, only because in 1991, it was the fastest American production car. Okay. Sedan, fastest American production sedan. And I think it'd be kind of a cool car to own along with, like, the Gallant. Um, the Dodge Spirit RT is kind of an unknown sleeper of a car, so I like that a lot. So, yeah. So, we're both going to crush the Fiero. Andrew's going to drive us up. I'm going to rally us up. Andrew's going to rally the Dodge. I'm going to drive the Dodge. So, Good answer. Good question actually. I like that a lot. It's yeah, a fun game. That's a fun one. Maybe some more next week from everybody. I like that. Uh Nate Smith. How many cars have you owned at a <laughs> how many cars have you owned at peak time? I personally had thirteen before I had a problem and thinned the herd. But I'm back up to six now. Andrew, how many is your highest count? I think it's right now actually, right? It is right now, yeah. Do you have I'd... a problem or are you just like you're still okay with it?
1: No, it's fine. I've got. I I would like to sell the eighty nine. Uh, I'd like to move that to somebody. Yep. Um, that would enjoy it because it is a nice truck. I've been daily driving it. I'm going to fix radiator. Uh, Correct. So I've got. Let's see the Glant, eighty nine, the, the ninety nine, Monteros, uh, the ninety, Talon. That's it. I only have four personally four, four cars. Household is only five cars currently. Currently We're working on a sixth though. Yeah. Well. One will one will go away, so.
0: Probably not right away,
1: though. Yeah, but regardless. <laughs>
0: anyway, um, uh, Nate, you said your personal high was 13. Um, I got you by one. Uh, I personally had 14 cars and two motorcycles. That was as recent as about a year ago. Um, I've moved a couple along. I know I still have a problem. My problem is trying to decide what ones to keep and what ones to get rid of. Because I have a problem where I fall in love with every car I touch.
1: Mm. so That's not a good problem for somebody who wants to buy and sell them. Well, I'm trying to
0: not get too involved with cars that I'm buying to just move on. Yes. And that's why I'm also trying not to buy old Mitsubishis to move on because I know that's going to be the problem. Also, nobody else wants old Mitsubishis except for us and our listeners. Yeah. So... Like, that Honda we bought and moved on was fine because it wasn't, like, an emotional attachment. It was cool. I got to experience it. Now somebody else owns it. So yes. I'm kind of okay with that. But um, I'm down to 11 now, I think, or 12. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's still way too many. So, Nate, thank you for making me realize the error of my ways. You were correct. I mean, it's the point where I forget what ones that you have. Sometimes I forget. If somebody asks me what I have and I'm I'm telling them and then I forget a car or two or three or five. It's a problem. Um, a couple answers were interesting on that thread. Um, Frank Eck says that during his VW days, he had 20 plus. So he says it was ridiculous. Well, there <laughs>
1: was a point when, I mean, air-cooled Volkswagens have definitely come up in value. Yeah. There was a point when they were worth nothing. So I'm sure you were just like buying them like crazy.
0: Yeah, exactly. He says rear, rear brake drums is not properly torqued. Get them dirt cheap.
1: It, well, it's it's, like, tempting to not buy Monteros because there's a lot of, like, $1,000 Monteros.
0: There's a lot of them out there. It wouldn't take long. Um, yeah. I heard the listener, Nate Campbell, says, I'm at 10 that have four wheels. So he's up there with, with crazy level of myself. Um, and we have some other friends in our group that have a lot of cars, too. So I'm not alone. I'm just... I'm I'm alone. I'm sorry. I have, <laughs> I, have, I, have I have no excuse. Uh,
1: just, you're, you're actually, you're lucky you're not alone.
0: Yeah. Uh, exactly. I'm lucky I have a wife and a daughter. Uh, Justin Hughes says for the third time, this is becoming a repeated theme with Justin. What is the airspeed of a velocity of an unladen? What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? I'm not going to answer him a third time.
1: Is it carrying a coconut?
0: Is it African-European? Yeah. Um, Brian Driggs spoke about it earlier. Uh, what is, what's Facebook doing to car forums? What can we do about it? Should we do anything about it? We've had a whole conversation on this back in probably episode four or five, I think, didn't we?
1: Yeah. It's, it's tough because Facebook is really easy. It makes it really easy to communicate with people, but it makes it really hard to, um, uh, like archive information. Yes. Yes. So It's
0: getting better with the group settings than they used to be. Yeah. It's still hard, and there's still a lot of repetitive questions being asked over and over again. Yeah,
1: but finding that uh, since the uh, ADD guys have created a forum just for Monteros, I'm like, uh, I kind of want to go hang out the forum because...
0: I haven't joined there yet, I should.
1: Yeah, though. it's not like... Sometimes you just see the same stuff posted over and over again. like On Facebook, especially. On Facebook. Yeah. Because you won't know that somebody posted it, and it's just I like... I think that some of the more... Um, and I think
0: we had the same answer last time we countered this. If the car has an older crowd that is kind of around it, yeah. forums are still thriving. Like the, the Colt Forum recently had to shut down because the forum company that hosted it Closed because forums are losing to Facebook. Yeah. So they moved everything to a new forum, um, and it's still a pretty active forum. The classic, yes. classic, classic cult forum. So, I mean, but again, you know, I'm probably one of the younger guys on there, and I'm 36. So, yeah, we're uh, we're an older crowd.
1: New England DSM forum is still pretty strong. Again,
0: that's because it's local, and it's just f- such a camaraderie, and it's more friend than anything else. Yeah,
1: it's been around for so long too.
0: So, yeah, we I'll we looking to look in to see what episode it was. We talked about that in length, but we did have an episode probably back, like, episode five or six, I think. We uh-huh. talked about that for a while. And then Brian says, what is it going to take to get you Mitsubishi apologists to the shootout this year, which is the DSM shootout in oh, Ohio? you
1: keep forgetting about that. Uh, Brian. That's the, pro- that's the problem. I forget about it until, like, a week before. Brian, and- Brian what it's going to take is to
0: nag, 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 and pay for it, because we don't have the money to go this year. Andrew's getting married this this year at yeah. the same time, so it's going to be a little hard this year, but maybe next year we'll try harder. It's hard. like a month before we get married, so. Yeah, exactly. So maybe maybe next year we'll try harder. Uh, Nate Smith, given the unavailability of DSM manual upgrade parts, being that Evo 3 items are kind of at the end of life, uh, what effects do you feel this will have in the Diamond Star Enthusiast? I've personally sold off all of my manuals and only kept my auto. Hmm. I don't know that it will have that much of an effect. I I, think the DSM enthusiasts are kind of at like a critical mass now anyway. Yeah. Whereas younger enthusiasts aren't really DSM enthusiasts. They kind of know about them, but they're not really into them. So I think the people that you know who have hoarded them for so many years will have enough parts to keep them going for a lot more years. People like Andrew and I. Yeah. (laughs) That have transmissions everywhere and parts everywhere and cars everywhere and... People like you, Nate Smith, who shouldn't get rid of all your manuals because you're the keeper of the flame, so buy them back. Put them back in your bunch of 14 cars or 12 cars, whatever it was.
1: I know there's a couple, well, maybe in like one place that's rebuilding the transmissions now for them. If people
0: in this day and age are still rebuilding 1955 MGs, then people are still going to be building cars that they're into for a long time. I think
1: there was some debate I don't think Shepard, John Shepard Racing will do them.
0: I think he's will for certain
1: people. They will. He yeah. will, I think, but you have to prepay everything. Prepay for
0: all the parts and have like, cash in his hand. And yeah. There's no refunds available. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because there's more lucrative, obviously, for like the Nissan GTR market. Yeah, and the Evos. Yes. So so there's that.
0: But, so that's all I have on Facebook. We may have one. Have one on Instagram. Okay, go ahead. Well, that's Andrew.
1: That is... Are uh, Throttle by cable," it said long ago. Bugatti res- res- resurrected pre VW ownership, and the EB One Hundred and Ten was a result. If you could resurrect one brand, which would it be, and what would you build? Why don't you go first? Because I was trying to think. I don't know either, Andrew. It's hard. I don't want to say Eagle because everybody's like, "Good, oh, that's, that's what you would say." I wasn't going
0: to say Eagle anyway because I don't. I wouldn't want to resurrect Eagle. Yeah. I mean, we still have Mitsubishis. There's still all the eagles we care about. We didn't care about every eagle. No. Like, we don't want eagle visions and eagle nope. premieres. Nope. We just want the eagle talons. Nope. Um, a lot of the car companies that I would have said have recently come
1: back to this country. Maybe. I mean, like,
0: alphas and...
1: Yeah, but maybe would it be if, uh, like, if Tucker never went away or something...
0: It's hard to say and in a company like Tucker because they only barely ever existed. Exactly. It was such a short little flash in the pan kind of deal. This
1: is a hard question.
0: It's a very hard question, and I have a couple ways I could go with it.
1: I do like EB110s, though. You're one of the few? They're, no, they're awesome looking. Yeah, they're so ugly. They're cool. They're so 90s, yeah. and they're awesome. They're very Radwood. They are.
0: Um, as a child, m- one of my strange obsessions automotive-wise was Packard's. Yeah. Um, I'm not a luxury car guy, but I do appreciate a nice old luxury car. And I think it would be kind of cool if there was still a luxury brand that could compete against Cadillac that wasn't foreign. Because Lincoln has kind of fallen aside a little bit. I mean, their new Continental is nice, but it's still, I think Cadillac builds a nicer car right now. Um, I think it'd be cool. And also all those, all the luxury cars now are going more performance sedan. Yeah. Um, where is it not just a big floaty car that they used to be? I think it'd be kind of cool if somebody still made a traditional American big boaty floaty luxury car and that company could be Packard. I think it'd be a cool name to bring back. That'd be they pretty had that, cool. That cool, like stop sign shaped emblem. And, you know, back in the thirties when they had the big coffin nose grills and there's a lot of cool styling cues they could bring back with those. And even in the fifties when they had the tritone color schemes and. They have a lot of cool things that they could bring into this century, I think, and build a big, like, Bodhi luxurious car, not a sports sedan luxury car. Hmm. Like the complete opposite of them, something you would think that we would want to own. But I think there's a market for the big Bodhi car. But nobody makes one right now.
1: No. No, but maybe like I don't know, sixty sports car? Like a like a Cunningham or something.
0: Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Actually, what would be really cool would just be a relaxation on regulations for niche manufacturers in general. Because back in the 60s, you could make a car company in your garage, and you could build 15 cars a year, and you could sell them legally without issue, without making them kit cars.
1: I think that is happening, though.
0: Maybe, but I don't think it's happening enough. I think that's kind of a – maybe not one brand. Maybe like a whole niche market of cars. I think it might be kind of cool. But regardless, I think Packard. It's kind of an off-the-wall choice, but it goes yeah. back to my my childhood. And I really liked Packards. And I don't know if it was the emblem that I recognized as a kid or just that big coffin nose that I recognized, but I always liked the Packards. They were just kind of different. And obviously, as a Dodge Colt collector, I'm still in different vehicles, so maybe I've always been a little off.
1: No, no they're pretty cool. Maybe
0: I've definitely always been a little off.
1: But now anything like pre- World War II is difficult for me to, like, just spout stuff off the top of my head.
0: No, absolutely, because we're not very exposed to it, other than Model A's, Model T's. Everything else is kind of like, it kind of blends together. Um, Seeing them in action in a vintage race or a hill climb kind of makes me appreciate them more. Like, I I mean, I really didn't really care too much about them until when they used to have that uh, hill climb at... The Castle Hill Concord elegance they used to have here. Yeah, I you never c- got to see You'd that. see the guys wheeling their 20s and 30s guys up the hill. Or when we see them at Lime Rock at the Historics, which is actually this weekend.
1: No, no, Historics are Labor Day. Oh, this is Memorial Day. Yes.
0: Yeah, you're right. Never mind. It's not this weekend. No. Scratch that. No, don't.
1: Fast forward the whole summer. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I always get confused because there is a car show this weekend at Lime Rock, I heard. It so uh, must I, be a different one.
1: Well, the Continental Series races or the Pirelli World Challenge. Saturday. Yeah.
0: Okay. And it's a car show on Sunday. Yeah,
1: then they do like the Royals car show or something. All right, whatever. Not for me. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. But
0: yeah, Packard. Going back to the answer. Anything else tonight, Andrew? I don't think so. I don't think so either. We went a little long, actually. think like, Didn't we? About yeah, a
1: little long. So we'll wrap this up now. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Auto off topic podcast on Facebook. You can, of course, uh, if you want to share and review this on iTunes, that really help. You can find us on Google music. Uh, it should be on any apps that pull from iTunes or Google music, whether you're using an iPhone, uh, or Android, but I think most people, iPhones use the podcast app. At least I do. You can follow me race and anger on Instagram. If you want to follow the podcast it's auto off topic on instagram uh i think that's everything for me as always
0: this podcast is brought to you by vintage imports of new england or vine uh vintage imports vintage imports of new england on facebook and vintage imports and e on instagram or just google it and it comes up everywhere uh we are a full service vintage car facility uh, shipping, buying, selling, consigning, appraising, photography, light repair work, even a little bit of everything. So any needs you have, give us a call.
1: Great. Keep your cars analog.